Welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive on a different topic each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. And Happy New Year to everyone out there. Can't tell you how excited I am for 2024. 2023 wasn't the best year for me, and to be honest, neither was the previous 30 or so, but I'm feeling pretty darn good about 2024. (laughs) My New Year's resolution is to sleep more than I watch movies, watch movies more than I gamble, and to gamble all the time. And insofar as Death Nerve is considered, during the holiday podcast drought, where there seemed to be no new content anywhere, I listened back to our first episode on Gates of Hell, kind of expecting to cringe out of my skin, but it was delightful. Apart from it making me miss my old pal John, It made me want to take our show back to its roots in the new year and focus more tightly on topics and get back to our original research-heavy mission statement. We have a ton of exciting guests lined up, but before we get too ahead of ourselves looking to the future, we thought it would be fun to kick off the new year looking back. I know we did one of these last year, which was sort of new to me, like the process of really coming up with a list of my favorite watches of the year. And I think it's such a great way to kind of remember what you did throughout the year, especially if you're a person who watches a ton of movies. Like no one ever forgets where they were when Kennedy was assassinated, when 9-11 happened, or when the Super Mario Brothers movie came out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> these are like, these are load stars in time. I mean, for certain movies, they definitely are in a way. So I totally agree with you. I, I'm excited to get back to those deep dive episodes where we go more in depth on individual films and even sort of micro subgenres. Yeah, oh yeah. But episodes like this are really fun because I think it allows us to talk about such a wide range of things. And I also had a year because of some projects I worked on because of some things I did for work. And because of my Halloween autumn watch list, I feel like I saw a wider range of things this year than in a long time. So on this episode, we're going to be kind of going down our top 10 favorite new to us watches for the year. But before we get into that, uh, I thought it would be fun to kind of look at our letterbox stats. I know no one gives a shit. Like, no one cares. But it's fun. Yeah, no one cares about <laughs> anyone else's letterbox stats but their own, you know? And it's just so fun to look at what you but did this year. Like, I feel like it's like nobody cares about anyone else's New Year's resolution, but people still enjoy sharing them anyway. Yeah, so that, that, that's what we're doing here. We're, we're, we're sharing today. So, Sam, I want to know, How many movies did you watch last year, 2023? I watched as of, and we are recording on New Year's Eve. So as of this moment, I watched 451. Wow. You got me fucking crushed. I didn't watch shit this. I played a lot of Fortnite this year. I was on a mission. I watched 233 movies this year. Wow. Shame. I know. I know. I know. (laughs) Who's your most watched actor? I have a tie between Shintaro Katsu and Simon Yam. Wow. I thought it was going to be Simon Yam, but it's, you know, it's kind of perfect. Yeah, we watched like 10, 9, 8 
Zatoichi movies this year. But I think because we watched them spread throughout the year, it didn't occur to me that yeah. like he we, would be in my top two. And we also watched we watched a Hanzo the Razor movie and we watched The Whale God this year. Was that we this did. year? Yeah. Yes. Shintaro Katsu is also my number one guy. And in general, but in on general. this list as well. And yeah, yeah. I, I got, I got <laughs> 10, 10 movies from Shintaro. And the next one up for me behind him is someone who I don't really know, but is just like a guy who's in a bunch of Japanese movies. I've got one of those on my list. Uh, his name is Ko Nishimura. Oh, Ko Nishimura is my number six most watched. Yeah, he's my number two. I, he's, I, in, he's one of those guys who's in some art house and new wave movies, but I'm pretty sure he's also Kurosawa, Godzilla. Yeah. He's like one of those Japanese actors who just... He's one of those guys that I see and I'm like, oh, I know this guy. Yeah, I saw him in a Zatoichi movie, a Hanzo movie, Yojimbo, Sword of Doom, the Living Skeleton, which I loved. That was Hell fucking yes. awesome. And of course, Gorath, which we went into detail on in our last bonus happy hour episode. It's uh, a year of Konishimura. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> God, this guy, he's my fucking boy now. I had no idea. My top five in general is really funny. Oh man. Do you have any like cringy actors that are in there? Like anyone who you're like, ooh, what's he doing here? No, but okay. So if Shintaro and Simon tie for number one, number two is Jean-Luc Godard. Because the actor? I, as an actor. JLG, yep, Joseph Gordon-Levitt the, in there? The man himself, because for anyone who somehow doesn't already know, I did a complete series on his films for the Patreon as sort of like solo podcasts that I have to finish up in January. And because he cast himself in so many of his like oh, 70s and 80s films. I didn't know he did that. I well, oh, I don't yeah. really know much about him, but I had no idea that he uh, he was one of those types oh, of guys. He has He's the, like a Woody Allen type. Well, he has the sort of typical art house thing that you hate where a lot of his films, there are main characters who either he is playing or he has cast an actor as a stand-in for himself. Like his uh -huh. life has Classic. a lot of... Yeah, so that, that, that's yeah. fucking Woody Allen shit. Yeah, fuck Godard. Fuck Woody Allen. Cool. I'm glad I, I'm glad I know that now. But I also have Michelle Yeoh and Jim Varney oh in my, my top five. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's a well-rounded list. The most embarrassing person that I have in my like top section is, uh, is Kenneth Branagh. Oh, because we watched how? all his we watched all his Perot movies. But that's only three. And we also watched Tenet. Oh, right. And okay. what else? Did we, we watched something else with him fucking in and I don't fucking know. Yeah, he's not even in my top ten. Let me see. Oh, Oppenheimer. Yeah. So we watched oh, we watched a right. fucking I forgot he was in Christopher Nolan movies and we watched all his fucking Perot Oh, he's movies. Niels Bohr, right? I think so. Yeah, I think he's Niels Bohr. All right, all right. How about uh, directors? Who's your... I mean, 47 films, Jean-Luc Godard. Yeah, he's the fucking... One. But my number two is John Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> you got fucking... <laughs> okay, well, at least there's one auteur on it's that list. It's like my entire personality. Oh, is... <laughs> hell yeah. It is. No, it really is. It really is. Uh, and my number three is uh, Kijo Yoshida, the great Japanese director. So it's like this balance of... French art house, Ernest American movies, art house, American art house, Thank you. and Japanese art house. <laughs> wow, that's great. Oh, that's awesome. Who's, who's mine? I didn't. Oh, hell yeah, of course. Of course. So, because I don't watch that many movies, I have three directors tied at number one. Uh, it's a Shiro Honda, Chang Che, 
and Christopher Nolan. That makes sense. Yeah, we watched uh, we all watched those a movies. lot of Ishiro Honda movies. We did, we did. So I and mean, somehow Ishiro Honda is not in my top ten at all, but Lamberto Baba is, and so is Chang Che. Well, Lamberto <laughs> Baba is not even fucking whispering on my list. Fulci is my my number four. What Fulci did we watch? Oh wow. Okay, this isn't oh, fair. Oh, Devil's Honey. It says there's three Fulci movies, but there's only two: Conquest, The Devil's Honey, and and Zombie Three, which is famously uh, Bruno Mattei, right? You may go. Yes, sir. Oh, doctor, it's you. Who told you to burn the body of the man infected with death one? I had to close an episode. The episode could open again. Hadn't it ever occurred to you that the ashes assimilated into the air could fall back to Earth again? That's ridiculous. Pure science fiction. Okay, okay. Let's let's get out of the stats. These are these are fun just for us, but like, you know. I know nobody cares. Nobody cares. Okay, okay. So Sam watched a lot of great films this year. I did too, but I feel like when I was looking back and making my list for my top 10 new-to-me movies, I realized that I have just been gorging on McDonald's and Halloween candy all year, and and it's reflected in my list. I didn't eat a single fucking vegetable, unless you count like the Zatoichi movies. Well, they weren't first-time watches. All the vegetables I ate are like old favorites I was visiting again. Yeah. So like my list is just filled with fucking garbage. But it, sometimes you have years like that and it's fine. But I so I figured it would be it would behoove us to start with our vegetables and then move on to dessert. And Sam, I, I looked at your list a little bit and then I like kind of pulled away because I, I wanted to be a little surprised by it. But it seems like you had a lot more uh, I don't. I don't know if I want to say like important movies, but just like movies that I had a lot of art house. Yeah, art house and and like serious, you know, cinema. You know, the kind of shit you would see on a screen ran or screen slate list. That, is that who does all the lists every year? Is it screen ran or it's screen slate? Screen slate or is it film ran? Film com. What, what so are, what are I, all these things that aren't so slash film, film comment is one of the best film magazines period but it's based in new york and so a lot of the people that you see writing for the criterion site are film comment writers and there's definitely crossover between screen slate and film comment so i i think that's a a reasonable mishmash in your brain so i always thought of screen slate as basically slash film for people who know how to pronounce <laughs> yorgos lanthimos Lanthimos. Lanthimos. See, I'm fucking, uh, this isn't, you know, it's not for me. You know, I, I'm not even cut out for Ain't a Cool News. I mean, I obviously don't, you <laughs> oh know. Oh my God, don't even. Yeah, and I'm not quite that abusive. <laughs> Too soon. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so kick us off, Sam. What is number 10 on your new to you list? Number 10. And this, okay. I think because I watched so many good movies this year and so many good new to me movies i really struggled to come up with a top 10 like i made a top 20 which you know i can share in a newsletter if people are interested but this is a real battle number 10 though i feel confident about and that is rex a dinosaur story oh good for you i loved it so much we watched it recently at a christmas marathon that charles programmed full of Aside from one or two exceptions, a whole day of new to both of us movies. Yeah. And Rex was something that screened at 
the psychotronic film club in Philly while we still lived there, but we missed it. And I assumed it was going to be so much worse and so much dumber than it actually was. It's, it's basically about this little girl whose parents are estranged scientists who find a dinosaur egg and try to wake the dinosaur up. They do some like shit where they like mix some... Uh, with frogs, maybe? No, no, sea turtle. They put sea, right, turtle, sea turtle DNA into this dinosaur egg, and it like eventually hatches the like most lovable little velociraptor oh my God, he's so cute yeah he's great and he's decided that his mom is this little girl and the little girl is very lonely because her own mom cares more about her work as a scientist and it, it's like she just is not around for this kid which i thought to be kind of a wild plot point in a 90s movie this idea that like there are bad moms in the world yeah. who are more career oriented but the little girl and the dinosaur go through these adventures together partly because the government wants to the the very short version the government wants to take possession of the dinosaur and so the little girl and the dinosaur run away at christmas time yeah. and have these fucking adventures that are just magical so, like sam said i programmed this during our christmas marathon and for the first 40 minutes i was like worried because there's, like, I there's, even loved the there's first no half. Christmas stuff. It's just like people standing over an egg and like talking about their family and stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, guys. I think I might have <laughs> fucked up nope. with this pick. Then when that fucking egg hatches and that little dinosaur comes out and he's like taking shits and like peeing and stuff. I'm like, okay, okay, this movie's turning on. And then when Christmas starts, oh my God, it's... It's craziness. It's like insanity. It's total and insanity. Definitely going to be a like tri-annual Christmas tradition. You know, like every few years I'm going to throw Rex every on. Every year. And it's got to be with some new new people. Like it's fun to show this one to some unsuspecting friends or, or what have yeah, you. Yeah, it's also one of those movies where there is some truly psychotronic stuff, but there's also some really heartwarming stuff. And it goes unexpectedly far into both sci-fi and fantasy territory at times. It has it all. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun kids movie. It's got some action. Doesn't it, it won't let you down. That's for sure. There if you are can, firework. Oh my god! And do you remember? I don't. I, okay, fuck it. Spoilers. Who cares? It's a fucking cartoon. Or not Chris, even, Christmas it's a kids movie. dinosaur movie. So it's not okay. a cartoon. It's not a cartoon. The uh, <laughs> this was crazy. The the end credits roll. The movie's over. Oh, I forgot yeah, about this. The movie's done. You know everything wrapped up just fine. And then there's like an, a post credit sequence that's just like more movie. It's like a whole extra it's like, scene. It's not like Avengers style. Here's one more minute. Yeah, no. It's a whole scene. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, and like halfway through, <laughs> I'm like, what is going on here? I'm like. Uh, yeah, it's Rex, a dinosaur story. That's so funny that that's that's kicking off your list. What's next? I what else you got on your, okay. on your list? For a total change of pace, sure. number nine on my list is the 1990 David Lamb film Hong Kong Gigolo, which... Oh, Simon Yam. Yeah, so I stayed home by myself on Thanksgiving out of sheer tiredness, wanting to stay in my pajamas. You didn't want to see my fucking ugly family is what it was. <laughs> I didn't want to drive... Many, many hours. monstrous family. Yeah, I understand. 
Uh, so I stayed home and I watched all Simon Yam movies. I had a little yams giving. Love that for you. And Hong Kong Gigolo is one I've been wanting to see for a while that I definitely plan to write about in my Category 3 book. But I was expecting it to be basically kind of a Hong Kong sex comedy. And it is not like that at all. It, so Simon Yam and... Alex Mann are these two gigolos, one of whom is aging and kind of doesn't like have the magic that he used to have. And so he's really struggling financially. And Simon Yam, of course, is the young hot one oh, yeah. who is trying, who's like his best friend and is trying to support him. So the first half of the movie is a pretty conventional melodrama, but it's about male sex workers the second half of the movie, it becomes a full-on Category 3 film. Okay, I... I And I want to give a spoiler. No, uh, I was about to like, just stop you there, because I want to see this so bad. Yeah, this sounds the, so good. There, there's a truly insane moment where a triad comes for the one guy because of, like, gambling debts, or he owes them money, or some bullshit that doesn't matter. But they have this scene where they kind of torture and humiliate him, but the torture is psychological and it's fucking okay. crazy. Say no more. I say, will say I'm, no more, but like you can't find a restored version. So I think the only option is the fuzzy file, the version that I watched, but oh my God, so you have to see it. This is a perfect example of, of the kind of movie that is all over my list. You know what I mean? You expect one thing and then it just like pounds you and it, and it fucking knocks you flat and you just, yeah, sorry, I didn't come in with the full amount of respect that was yes, that, that this was owed. That was just like... It's humbling. Uh, it's called Hong Kong Gigolo, right? Hong Kong Gigolo, yes. And I think I thought it was a sex comedy because he is in a loosely not really connected series of films where he plays a gigolo. Like there's one that's a sex Simon comedy. Simon is so yeah. hot. There's one that is a true sex comedy, and I think that's why I thought that's what this was. But wow, it blew I, me away. I really appreciate that recommendation. I I'm gonna watch that one soon. Yeah. All right. What do you got next? Number eight. Number eight. Holy shit! So earlier this fall, Subway Cinema, which is partly run by Grady Hendrix, you know, we've talked about going to that. They have this once a month. 35 millimeter secret screening thing at Nighthawk. And they collaborated with Lincoln Center on this South Korean cinema of the 60s series. And I went to a lot of films in that series, loved it. But my favorite was this movie called An Empty Dream from 1965 by Yoo Hyun-mak. I learned later that it's actually a remake of a Japanese movie from like 62 and I've now seen both versions, but the Korean version, seeing this movie in a theater on 35 with an audience of mostly older Korean women, which was amazing because it's an exploit. It's like a surreal exploitation movie about this guy who goes to the dentist and he gets anesthesia and he starts to have this maybe vision, maybe nightmare of the dentist assaulting a female patient. And then it turns into this like crazy fever dream that I, 
I don't even know. Okay, I'm just Sorry, gonna I'm gonna read my review. Can you repeat the title real quick for An me? An Empty Dream. An Empty Dream from 1965. Yes, it's based on a Japanese short story. It's pretty similar to the Japanese version, but I think it goes more over the top. There's more weird humor. What's your review? I went in expecting this to be a surreal expressionistic fever dream with lots of horror elements, which it is, but I was not expecting it to be so horny. (laughs) There's sadomasochistic dentistry, rope bondage, musical numbers, and an electricity play scene where it's implied a woman orgasms and squirts. And this is like a mid-60s South Korean film. Uh, and that's only scratching the surface. All right. Speaking of dental anesthesia, I have short-term memory loss from the amount of uh, dental anesthesia, anesthesia I do to myself. <laughs> One more time. What's the title? I'm writing it down on my phone. An Empty Dream. An Empty Dream. And it's the Korean version. Damn. Wow. That's yeah, awesome. I absolutely loved it. At times, it's like if you like weird, expressionistic exploitation surreal type movies like if you like Jodorowsky you probably will love this film and the fact that it just has everything from these like sort of graphic assault sequences that feel like an exploitation movie to musical numbers and there's like a guy dressed up as a magician do you think that would it's very carnivalesque. Okay. I wonder if we can sneak that into, if you would, if you're willing to watch it again. I would into love like to. A marathon that we do at home sometime. I would love to watch. So it was interesting to see at the Lincoln Center because the audience there, especially for these Asian cinema series, they tend to be more art house people. And all of the women sitting in my row, who I think were, I would say, 40 and above. We're all like laughing and clapping and smiling uh, at the end. And I was like, I this love. is the best. Okay. But I would also love to watch it with like exploitation movie fans. Oh, wow. This is great stuff. It was wonderful. All right. Number seven. So this was tricky because I knew I wanted to include a film from my Halloween watch list, which, you know, I've talked about in past episodes. I've written about it on the Patreon, so I don't want to go too much into it here, but I watched a lot of more classic 60s, 70s, 80s Japanese horror that was new to me. And some of it was so incredible. So I tried to narrow it down to one thing for this top 10 list. And I had to go with The Vampire Moth from 1956, directed by Nobuo Nakagawa, who was one of the first really Japanese horror auteurs. He made dozens of films. I have really liked every single one I've seen so far. But... I'm just going to read the letterbox plot synopsis because I think it nails it. The story of a professional nude model stalked by a bizarre unknown man wearing a hideous mask. It sort of feels like if Jess Franco made a Japanese horror movie about a serial killer let loose in a nightclub. So it's like, not it's so sleazy. It's not about Dracula like sucking the blood out of a streetlight. No get it because the vampire i totally get it and i I i'm not actually sure why it's called the vampire moth but my letterboxd review also nails what i I didn't cover so it's sort of blood and black lace meets the cat and the canary it has pretty much everything you could ask for in a 50s horror movie including a gruesome serial killer showgirls a werewolf subplot oh yeah an evil twin and an appearance from Japan's most famous detective, okay. Kosuke Kindaichi, who's 
I'm really developing a deep love for. I'm curious, is this kind of similar to the living skeleton in the, in the ways that it throws every totally. horror plot line at the wall to see what sticks? Because I, lo- I loved that. I almost put it the It made living, my head spin, but I loved it. I almost put the living skeleton in this slot, but the vampire moth, I think ultimately I liked a little bit more because it goes into that sort of like exploitation... They're not strippers, but they're erotic dancer, like cabaret type showgirls. So it it has that kind of sleazy. Oh, it was so good. So good. Wow. Loved it. Man, you're like, my list is going to (laughs) suck. I'm sorry, everybody, for when we get to my half of the fucking egg. It's it's no good. I I went above and beyond with my Halloween list this year, like trying to find some real deep cut gems. Yeah. And that's one of them. I was like, oh, did they make a Critters 5 or did they stop at 4? You know, that's how far I went this Halloween. All right. All right. What's number six? Another Japanese movie. I'm sensing a theme here. Though very different. It's a film that I actually thought i saw maybe i saw a weird cut version of it in high school on a really shitty bootleg tape and i hated it i thought it was terrible and the reason i'm including it on this list is because i didn't remember a hardly anything that happened and i i think i gave it five stars four stars it's called my soul is slashed from 1991 by shusuke kaneko my soul is slashed okay this movie I don't even know how to describe it. It's my memory of it was that it was a really bad, low budget, like crappy sci-fi Dracula movie. It has like a little bit of that. It's basically a family melodrama about a father and daughter bonding, except the father is this typical Japanese salary man, like obsessed with work, doesn't pay much attention to his family. And The company that he works for, namely his boss, are corrupt. And so he gets killed in the very beginning of the movie. His family's very sad. But there happens to be a lady working at the hospital who's doing this kind of like experimental blood research. Naturally, she has a vial of Dracula's blood. Beautiful. And dad needs to get a blood transfusion. They, they give him blood to try to save his life. He accidentally gets a transfusion of Dracula's blood. Oh, my God. Comes back from the grave a year later as this, like, Andy Warhol-looking Dracula. And most of the movie is him bonding with his teenage daughter. Oh, okay. They get into this all is... these shenanigans. It's it's sort of like the Mr. Vampire movies, the, the Chinese of films. Of course, yeah. It has that kind of tone where sometimes it's a horror movie, sometimes it's a little bit more actiony, but there's a lot of family melodrama and romance and there's a happy ending. Great. It's Okay, okay. It's just yeah, absolutely is, magical. That sounds so nice. It I loved it. Wow. So nice. Okay, okay. Number 5. You got any uh any American stuff on this list or is it all I don't know if I have any American stuff. I don't, I don't know if I, I do don't either. have any American stuff. I have a lot of Japanese stuff, but the next one is Egyptian. Oh, for a change of pace. Uh, the movie is called Cairo Station from 1958, directed by Youssef Shaheen, 
And I watched a few of his movies earlier this year for a book project that I worked on, and I fell in love with this one. So it's basically a proto-exploitation movie about a serial killer murdering women in the train station in central Cairo. And one of the main characters is this lady who is, she's very sensual and just has a very loud personality, loves her body, doesn't mind if men look at her body, cannot be contained by her boss or social conventions. And so naturally she kind of attracts this serial killer. Meanwhile, there's labor strife going on at the train station and people are starting to strike. So it's this weird mashup of exploitation movie, horror film, and sort of like leftist labor movement stuff, but it's so beautifully shot. And it balances all that stuff. So well. Wow. Like one of my favorite films of the year by far. And the title of that is Cairo Station, which is where the whole thing is set. And so if you you love train movies, it's a train movie. In a way, it almost reminds me of Kurosawa a little bit in the way that you get this really beautiful choreographed crowd shots, especially around the labor union stuff. Like there's this incredible scene where all these women are striking because they want to do more things than get married. They're like, no, we're done. (laughs) So the way that he balances the women's rights issues in an Egyptian fifties film with the serial killer stuff is incredible yeah that's one thing that i really appreciate when political cinema does is when they can get all of the genre elements right and i think that's one thing that the hollywood left and like obviously liberal cinema and like and like that stuff that's happening now is just it's dead because all it does is it uses its virtues of getting politics right as the springboard for it being a good movie and it's like that's not the way it fucking works like when we watched Recently, the people under the stairs, I was just like, I had such a fun time with the genre horror movie fucking crazy shit going on. And then the fact that it happens to have an anti-landlord stance and is like very, you know, anti-capitalist and like leftist and like... Anti-white people draining communities for their own... Yeah, it, it it had a lot of good politics, but it never skimped... On the genre stuff. That's and how Candyman really is too. That. That's like one yeah. of my favorite things. Yeah, Candyman is one that I think could go a little further with its leftist messaging a bit, but it, it's it's a good, it's a good, it's a great movie. I love Candyman. Yeah, they both I think are movies I saw as a kid, and I watched Candyman way more, but where I realized, oh, you can have a horror movie and also have it be about real issues and not like just. A monster. All right, where are we at on your list? Number four. Back to Japan. I knew. Well, okay. So I had to include a Yoshida film since I saw so many at that series. But this one is a movie that I actually watched the remastered version of. So I didn't see this on 35 because they weren't able to get a hold of a print for some reason. Erica from Unsung Horrors hit me up in maybe September and was like, holy shit, have I got a movie for you? And it's sort of like Kurosawa's Ron in the sense that it's a literary adaptation. It's Wuthering Heights and it's really pretty faithful to the novel, but it's set in medieval Japan, late medieval Japan. 
it's has it just has so many great notes from the novel with beautiful cinematography and it's a gothic horror movie wow yeah uh, gorgeous type, and what's it called again wuthering heights oh it's it's wuthering heights it's literally wuthering heights yeah wow so much of it what I think, year what year is it it's, it's 1988 oh. it's one of his later films okay cool it's absolutely wonderful and i think if you know like me wuthering heights is one of your favorite books i think it other than Dracula, it might be the book I've read the most. And it's a wonderful adaptation. And even if you don't care about it, it's still a great horror Chanbara. That's one thing I kind of want to step up this year is there's a lot of, of, you know, great Japanese directors whose later career I have kind of a, a, it's a blind spot for me. Like Kinji Fukusaku is probably the exception to that where I, I've, yeah. I've seen, you know, stuff from every era of his life but seishin suzuki is one who there's there's a lot of his like later stuff i'm very very curious about well then you'll like my list later on oh great (laughs) (laughs) okay all right what's number three on your list okay number three is merry christmas oh from 1984 wow two movies from the christmas marathon made your list i loved it so much oh i'm like you're just so happy that we watched (laughs) it's so funny that all these movies you watched like the other day are like oh best of the year no i looked we were just having a good time (laughs) i looked through my whole list for the entire year and tried to whittle it down and I'm so I glad just, that Merry Christmas was so good because I loved it. I, I was worried because it. Carl Maka, uh, not always the funniest fucking guy, even though he's a comedy guy. Uh, I don't always like his shit. And I bet you didn't know he has abs. I, I think I knew that he was <laughs> that he was uh, secretly a dime under there. Yeah. Merry Christmas was a lot of fun. Five stars. Who's our boy that was in it? Leslie Chung. Leslie Chung, rest in peace. <laughs> uh, yeah, a young Leslie Chung in a very memorable side role as sort of like oh, a little fucking the, the hot piece of shit who's trying to date his daughter and they have an awkward drinking bonding oh, sequence. It's so yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so, so good. It is. It is. Leslie Chung's real everyone's really really good in it and it's it was so funny. I I realized in the first few minutes we started laughing, I was just like, okay, we're only going to laugh now because it's the beginning and they're, and they're front loading it with, you know, some fun stuff. And every like seven minutes was just another great gag, a fun scene. And like, they kind of wrung a little, a decent amount of emotion out of you too. They start to get you to feel some stuff. And yeah, it's, so it's basically about Carl Maka is this dad with, older teenage early adult kids and then one little kid who is adorable oh that kid fucking steals the and show he's so he's, good he's like secretly in love with his neighbor who's an opera singer but he doesn't want to admit it and so it is a christmas romantic melodrama yeah, and he's kind of like so mean to her comedy. too because he likes her you know it's like kind of like a teenager in a way yeah he doesn't know how to handle it yeah he has that like man child thing going but it, it's just, it's so funny. It's so delightful. And we almost watched it last year, but I was just like... It can't ah, be good. It can't be good, you know? I but feel it's like... it's so good. And oh my God, the surprise of the whole movie to me, I didn't know Leslie Chung was in it. So that was a great surprise. But probably my favorite surprise is Yuan Wu Ping is in it as, yeah. as his romantic rival. And they get into a fight scene that's like 
not a traditional action movie fight scene. It's like just comedy. Yeah. But it's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> so yeah, listeners, uh, put this one in your in your hat and save it for next December time. Or Christmas in July. Yeah, uh, honestly, you can watch it any fucking <laughs> time you want. I'm not a cop. Do whatever so you want. Good. Merry Christmas. There's what a even great a movie. cameo from Sandy Lamb. Yeah, is it a cameo or is she just there? It's like... she's She has a speaking role... But I think it was before she was majorly famous. Yeah, I remember. She's, when I, she's a singer. When I saw when I saw her name in the credits, I just got so excited. And then, like, w- when we looked up who she was, I was like, I didn't even see her. I didn't even know she was there, and felt a little sad about that. But that's because I'm a fucking loser. She was so young. All right, all right. Number is that number three? That's number two. Number two, another Egyptian film. Wow. Fangs from 1981, which. I loved so much. This was almost my number one film of the year. Almost. So if you haven't seen or heard of Fangs, it's basically an Egyptian satire of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. But where Rocky Horror pulls from Frankenstein, this pulls from Dracula. And so it just like... It has all these moments nodding to or outright spoofing American horror movies and American pop culture, like the best use of the Jaws theme that I have ever experienced outside of Jaws. And it just, it's so delightful. It has these like surreal dance sequences, some laugh out loud moments of comedy, great stuff where the vampire the the main vampire guy explains what vampires are and who dracula is it just it brought me so much joy like i <laughs> everyone everyone needs to watch fangs fangs 1981 egypt and i did watch it while we had covid so it's possible that that your brain was just yeah, melting out I was of your just ears in a brain already fever also I feel like I've brought this up on past episodes, but there's this 70s disco song I love called Soul Dracula, and they fucking use Soul Dracula and Fangs. Beautiful. It's like, this movie is made for me. You love that. Yes. That's good stuff. It really is. All right. Little drum roll for Sam Deegan's- Number one movie. Number one movie. An appearance from the great Seijun Suzuki, Zigunner Weizen, which is one of the- surreal horror movies that he made after he got kicked out of the studio. When the Did stu- he make it in Germany? No. Was it, it called Zegerner Weisen? Zegerner Weisen, yeah. It has a German name, which has to do with something in the plot that is too complicated to explain. But it's basically about these two guys. And one of them is Toshia Fujita, the director who made Lady Snowblood. Oh. He stars as this sort of like professor type. It's kind of a love triangle movie about this straight-laced, polite professor played by Fujita and this other guy who's just a wild man, Yoshio Harada, who I think a lot of people would, would recognize from Japanese cult movies. But he plays this kind of like smart, goth, brooding, wandering Lord Byron type. Like he just wants to have sex and travel around and read books. And they get involved in this love triangle with a woman who maybe dies and maybe her double comes back. And so it has all these like ghost story and Gothic elements, but it's 
absolutely beautiful. Like one of the most beautiful films yeah. I've seen all year. I got to see it on 35 millimeter at Japan Society because they did what, what they called a Taisho Roman series, which it's all films based on stories and novels from the 20s during when the erotic grotesque was invented during this period of political turmoil and the rise of lots of leftism in Japan. What's the erotic grotesque? What's the translation for that? Eroguro is yeah, how yeah, it's, yeah. it's usually referred to, but it, it means that there are often horror and ghost story elements Lots of sexual wow. sadism. I would actually really love to devote a full episode to this topic. I, it's... I would love to. I, that's what I want to do my next book on after the Category 3 book. It's like there are so many good movies. Yeah. Didn't you do a zine? So I did do a shorter form Arrow Girl project that has yet to see the light of day because it's a collaboration with someone else. And hopefully I can force them to complete their end of the bargain this year yeah you fucking hear that justin haunt love We're yeah fucking, come on justin where the fuck are you doing buddy <laughs> all right all right that's a great list holy shit lots of lots of japanese films yeah. but that's also probably the majority of what i watched yeah. at least no in no, the no that, 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 that's the fair year. and honestly it seems you know i was just kind of like ribbing you lightly for just having like asian movies on your list i mean half of mine are too but like it's such a diverse amount of stuff, like genre-wise, that it's, it's... Yeah, it's not all art house. There no, are maybe no. two art house movies on here, and Zigunner Weisen has a lot of... Yeah, Seishin Suzuki is someone who I absolutely love, and I'm a famous hater of art house. Oh, yeah, know? Gate of Flesh was in my top ten last year Gate because of... you introduced me to Gate it. Gate of Flesh is my favorite Seijin Suzuki film. But I, yeah, I love the guy. I mean, even when he is completely unhinged off the rails, making the last movie the studios will ever let him make. And they're like, listen, buddy, you're not going to be able to use color film anymore if you keep this shit up. And he's like, okay, I'll, I'll, Fine. I'll, I'll be normal this time. <laughs> and then he makes Branded to Kill. Yeah. Like, dude, he's a fucking king. He's awesome. And, and that's. I, my, one of my New Year's resolutions is. To hopefully have another Seijin Suzuki in my top 10 in 2024. Yeah. All which, right. Which I will forget. We're going to move on to the second half of the episode, which is my top 10 list, after this quick word from our sponsors. Do we have sponsors? Have you been feeling blocked up for the last <laughs> year? Have you been trying everything from watching the new Super Mario Brothers movie to the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie? Have you been trying everything you can to, to feel something again and nothing's working? Well, you need to try Solo from Pierre Paolo Pasolini. <laughs> it's the new film. Everyone's talking about it. Do you want to feel something again? Try Solo. Do you want to be able to eat rice like that? Solo from Pierre Paolo Pasolini. All right, and now we're back. I kind of want to, I know you didn't get to do this, but I feel like I'm going to zip through my list. I'm not going to fucking take any time here. They, they, no one wants to, to hear about. Oh, actually, <laughs> some of these are pretty good. But I, I do want to quick acknowledge a couple of my runners up. Just zippy dippy doodle. One is this, it's not really a movie. It's, it's 19 minutes long. It was this thing that played on on public broadcasting 
in Indiana, obviously. It's called Haunted Indiana. So good. It's wild. I mean, it's just really nice. It's a nice thing to play after, like during the Halloween season when you want to throw something in there. This 19-minute thing called Haunted Indiana. I wish it was a whole movie. I could watch that or for like, my whole life. Like a whole TV show. It was nice. It was nice to look at. Uh, I also loved watching Island Claws, which was a giant crab movie that was written by the guy who played the creature from the Black Lagoon. Riku Browning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when my list was still like top 30, it was on there. Yeah. Island Claws is amazing. Uh, the Devil's Honey, Lucio Fulci's just, I've, I didn't know the guy made movies like that. I had no Hell idea. Yeah. I, I absolutely love Devil's Honey. Uh, Bob the Gambler, Bob Le Flambeur, uh, directed by J.P. Melville. JP. You like that? You like that? <laughs> I'm so glad that you loved that movie. I did, I did. See, there are some art house movies that you like. That wasn't an art house movie. That was a regular fucking movie. People consider it an art house movie well, that's... by virtue of who directed it. Who, JP? Yeah. Listen, JP. With his big giant American movies. hats. <laughs> uh, Dangerous Seductress, which was directed by the guy. I, I can't pronounce I'll, I'll try to pronounce it. Oh, name. the Lady Terminator uh, guy. H. Tijalil. Yeah, fuck this. What am I trying this for? Uh, he's an Indonesian director who made Lady Terminator, uh, Mystics in Bali, and this movie that I'm trying to track down now called Satan's Bed, which is a Nightmare on Elm Street knockoff. Anyway. Wow. I uh, need I need to see that. Yes. And, and also Sex Beyond the Grave is in my runners-up list. Really nice, you know, precursor Cat 3 movie. I'm so glad you put Dangerous Seductress on there. It was... I originally tried to fit it into my list, me, me but too, hoped me too. that you would bring it up. It was so good. Okay. Now, without further ado, my top 10 new to me list. Number 10, got to kick things off right with a category three film. Oh, yeah. Starring Mr. Anthony Wong, Anthony Perry to the real heads out there. My fave. This is Love to Kill from 1993. This one... It was great. It was like, you know, as mean and nasty as you want a Cat 3 movie to be. It's like Anthony Wong is this guy who's like abusing his wife and he just won't leave her alone. You know, he yeah, just it, and it's he won't not, let her go. It's not like... It's not one of the fun ones, but it still manages to be at times. It, it also, I don't know a nice way to say this, but it's not like conventional domestic abuse. It's like extreme torture... Yeah, so obviously this isn't it is for everyone. It's a hard but, category three. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, if if you're if you're a cat three head like me, there's like a th not many big name title ones left. So I try to like save the few I have for special occasions, you know, like uh, your birthday, like my birthday. <laughs> uh, and, and to be fair, it wasn't like we started the day off with this. This was the last movie we watched. This was like our like okay, we're closing it, we're bringing it home with Cat Three, and uh, that was a great marathon. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Oh, actually, no, it wasn't. I fucked up. I feel bad about this marathon. So the the theme for my birthday marathon last year was classic slash sleaze. So what I did was I alternated between. Some like classy, like a Hitchcock movie, followed by like, you know, uh, Psycho 3. You know what I mean? So we were like, I was going back and forth between something like. I, 
I like that Hitchcock is your example for classy because you could have put in something like Frenzy, which is just like a rape serial killer movie. So it's like a category three film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was Rope, which was, you know, pretty. I'm not saying that like classy in the sense that like, oh, it's about people sitting at tables fucking talking. I meant classy in that it was like a well-regarded thing. High you production know? values, yeah. But yeah. it just, it didn't flow right. It was like a, a a neat idea on paper, but in practice, it just made it so that way, like, you couldn't fully enjoy the classy stuff. I don't know. It's Do you know what the problem was? The problem was that you didn't add Aladdin back into the lineup. All right, all right. Enough <laughs> out of you. Enough out of you. All right. So number 10 was Love to Kill. Great Cat 3 movie for, for the Cat 3 heads. And number nine... Uh, this is kind of a this is the first of my many embarrassing movies to have on my list. This one is a little film from the director Richard Friedman from 1989 called Phantom of the Mall: Eric's oh, Revenge. Oh, I'm so glad you loved it. I, you know, I I'm obsessed I did. with it. It's, Morgan Fairchild, it just. <laughs> I mean, like obviously, I gave it three and a half stars on Letterboxd. It's not that I like lost my shit over it or anything. I just like had so much fun with it, and I think I I expected such a different movie. And I didn't realize just how low rent and ridiculous it's it was going to be. It's wonderful. It's it's one of my favorite yeah, mall Pauly movies. Polly Sh- Shore's in there, and I, I mean serving chopped off ears in in frozen yogurt. Yeah, I mean <laughs> it, it's. I had a really good time with with Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have probably seen this one. It's like a famous Blu-ray title at this point. Did, did Vinegar Syndrome put this out, or is one of the other boutiques? I think Vinegar Syndrome did. It's it's one of those movies that I think actually didn't get as much attention. Like, I didn't oh. see it until a couple of years ago, and it was hard to find. Well, but I okay. think now it's getting yeah, more Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that's kind of what I... I don't mean it was like it's been popular forever, but it's one that I, I've heard about a lot in the last like few years. It's like, oh, you got to see Eric's Revenge, baby. It's just like the, the <laughs> way... Eric's Revenge. And the title, Phantom of the Mall, colon... Eric's Revenge. Like it's a sequel. Yeah, I love that. But I I guess sort of what I mean is, you know, you have all these beloved 80s slashers, things like Chopping Mall. I think Eric's Revenge is better than Chopping Mall any day. I need to rewatch Chopping Mall. I remember that was another one that I I also really liked and... I didn't know it was going to be a killer robot movie. So that's why I really liked it. Because I was yeah, like, okay, we're going to watch nice a slasher twist. movie. And now it's like, oh, it's a fucking killer rope. This is great. Did you ever see Revolver? It's a made for like USA or... Only made- the Italian one. Okay, no, 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 no. This is a made for USA TV movie about a killer robot that shoots marbles at people. What? Yeah. We should watch that We sometime. need to have Killer Robots Day. Fuck yeah. All right. Number eight on my list... This is one, <laughs> again, a, a lot of these are ones that I just discounted beforehand, or, or or I thought they were something totally different. And number eight on my list is called The Ship of Monsters. Oh, uh, so good. A, a Mexican film from 1960 where a singing cowboy... F- <laughs> Sorry, I just... I, I'm like, I pulled up the letterbox, and I'm like, oh, I'll just read the plot synopsis, and okay... A singing cow <laughs> Jeez, okay, come sorry. on. A singing cowboy falls foul of alien invaders and beautiful women from Venus. Basically, let me see if I can pull my letterbox review, because I, I was really excited on this movie. Yeah, quick spoiler tag because I went in knowing nothing about the plot and was all the better for it. 
I actually thought this movie took place on a boat before start before it started up. All the men of Venus died off. So two smoking hot Venusians take a rocket ship around the cosmos on a mission to bring back the most premium alien dick in the galaxy. <laughs> Pretty crazy that a serial lying braggadocious macho man from Chihuahua teaches them about love, desire, and perhaps most importantly, consent. But you really got to expect the unexpected with this movie. Oddly wholesome and without a dull moment, this is the movie I'd recommend to any genre fan who wants to check out more Mexican cinema. In general, I'm not a huge fan of the Adam Age rocket-powered sci-fi stuff from the 50s and early 60s, but this one, this one right here, this one is it. It's so good. It is. It's just I, so, like, you're dead on that it it's surprisingly wholesome for being a movie about female aliens kidnapping dudes of different species to take home and bang yeah and <laughs> and the fact that like they they land and you know they have this like macho braggadocious dickhead and he's like whoa 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 don't you know about kissing don't you know about i'm gonna you sing know, to you about kissing about love and de- and, and like desire gender roles <laughs> well yeah yeah but but not just that but also like it, it was it was a little nicer i thought like he was he was you know it, it was but like ultimately the message is like why travel around space going on these conquests when you could settle down on the ranch and be my wife and she's like you know what that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess the message isn't exactly that progressive or anything. I just thought it was nice. I, no, I thought it was a cute movie. I, and... I loved it, and I especially... It, it It's almost like kind of kaiju adjacent. In oh, there's way. fucking monsters yes. all over it. Awesome looking monsters. The monsters I... are so cool. Yeah. There's a skeleton. There's a dinosaur skeleton monster. Oh. Yeah, I, I had an absolute ball with Ship of Monsters. All right, number seven on my list. This is this is probably my favorite discovery in a lot of ways because it's one that wasn't on my radar in any way. Never heard of it. Didn't know it existed. It was programmed by a dear friend of ours who was a, a guest host a couple years ago on one of our 24-hour marathon, uh, our friend Josh Christensen. And, and the marathon for the day... Uh, also includes my least favorite movie of the year. Oh, you know, which we'll talk about yeah. in the happy hour. In our, in our <laughs> bonus episode today, we're going to talk about our the fucking worst movies we ever seen. So stick around for that. But this is one called La Machine. The Machine. It's called. It's a French film with that guy with the huge fucking face who spills wine all over himself all the time, and you know, smells terrible. Gerard Depardieu. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. I so. You know, I can fully acknowledge that he's a terrible person, but he's one of the greatest actors to ever live. Yeah, I honestly don't think I've ever seen him in anything, so I don't watch French oh. movies. I just, like, know about him because I see his face in, like, tabloids sometimes, and I'm like, yo, what is this thing? But anyway, uh, this movie, The Machine, it's awesome. So it, basically, a few years before Face Off came out, they did it in France, the same exact idea, where there's this, like, serial killer, serial rapist, bad guy, and Gerard Depardieu is, like, his uh, his therapist, his psychiatrist, and he devises a way to basically go inside of his mind to find some answers about, like, other victims and other stuff, and he, like, goes inside of his mind with his, like, magic machine, the machine, and then... 
somehow the other guy goes inside Gerard Depardieu's mind. So it's a body swap movie, just like in Face Off, where Gerard Depardieu is now stuck in jail as this guy. Wow. And now this guy gets to go home to his family and, like, fuck his wife and, like, do all this, like, weird shit with his kid. And, like, and it's nuts. It's not a one-to-one face-off thing. I mean, the similarities are huge. Oh, man. It's got a fucking ending. It's got a last 20 minutes that are just, it's it's insane what they do. They do some really, really, really fucked up stuff. More body switching stuff. Sure. If you can find this movie, if you can track down The Machine, Le Machine, or whatever they say in France, it's great. I, I cannot believe that I have a French movie on my list. I mean, you obviously, you as you said, you love Bob Flambeur. French crime films are a great place to start for people who don't want more highbrow, snooty art house films because they do have some art house crossover. Yeah. Well, speaking of highbrow, I mean, you got to see the brow on this Gerard Depardieu guy. <laughs> oh, my God. That is a thick brow that man has. All right. All right. Let's let's move along. All right. Number six, Space Amoeba, a Shiro oh, Honda. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm going to come right out and say this. Uh, Space Amoeba is not a perfect movie. It's not the greatest movie ever. It's not Ashiro Honda. It's like not even in his top five. But here's the thing. My whole life, I was certain that I had seen Space Amoeba before. I knew, I remember watching it. I saw Space Amoeba. Definitely. We put it on one night. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's watch Space Amoeba. Ashiro Honda, I've seen it. It's okay. And in five minutes, I realized I had never seen this. I didn't That's recognize a fucking thing. So immediately, just this feeling took over me, this like feeling of life. It's just, it's just the best. There's nothing like it. I mean, it is, it is so wonderful. And I just had this huge, dumb fucking smile on my face the whole time. It was so wonderful. It was great. It was a, it's a kaiju movie. It's a giant monster movie from the guy who makes the best giant monster movies, the originator, Shiro Honda, and... Uh, it was just so, so nice to watch. The monster is crazy. Yeah, the monster is like a fucking squid thing. You know, it, it's great. It's, it's like a space squid. Uh, I, I, I loved it, but mostly just because I was happy. You it's know? like it, a little it, bonus prize. Yeah, and, and to think that like I for years was just like, oh yeah, I've seen this one, I've seen this one, and just like didn't watch it. And uh, it's just a treat, such a treat. I can't tell you. Uh, just how good that felt to see Space Amoeba. That's kind of why something like Rex was on my list. It's like, is it? It's not a question of is it a perfect movie. It's more how much joy did it make me feel. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And that's that's the why you make these personal oh, yeah. lists. This is these are about you. You know. All right, number five. Let's fucking go. We talked about this movie at length on the show already, so no need for me to go too deep into it this is 1976 directed by radley metzger the opening of misty beethoven oh hell yeah i just loved this movie it might be the single best hardcore film of all time i can't imagine watching one better so this year i i watched a lot of hardcore movies for the first time that i hadn't seen and and honestly, there are some of those movies I would say I liked even more than other movies that are on my list. You know, like I probably, to be honest, I liked Through the Looking Glass and Water Power, which I watched the first time this year, way more than Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. 
But I had to put just like, I wanted to have diversity on the list and I wanted to include one hardcore movie. And this is just the best. Like it's, it's a movie you can bring home to your parents, you know, and watch with the family. It's so good. It's like fun. And I mean, I don't know if you can do that to everyone's family, but yeah, like, I mean, there's, there are definitely montage scenes where she learns how to make three guys come at once. So I, depending on who your family is, yeah, but that's like, but it's, it's a beautiful film. And I think it is the ideal if you're trying to convince someone that they should give hardcore movies a chance, especially 70s hardcore, because it's a real ass movie. Yeah, and I know, like, not all of our listeners, I mean, they may, you know, not be fans of this genre or, like, not watch them. I I, I don't know. I'm convinced that anyone who actually listens to our show is also a pervert. So well, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They but either are fans of 70s hardcore or will be at some point. Yeah, but, I mean, we... we <laughs> there's, like, Liam, you know? What? I feel like he probably does. I don't. I, I was talking to him recently. He says he never jerked off in his life. <laughs> uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, obviously hardcore movies are not for everybody. Well, I think it's like exploitation movies, but more extreme. Like, yeah, I think like, sometimes hearing about it is off-putting enough that people won't even give it a chance because they assume it's just going to be really exploitative. Yeah, and and I mean, I get. I mean, Cat Three movies aren't for everybody. Sure, uh, Kaiju movies aren't even for everybody. You know, I mean, obviously, art house movies not for me. You know, okay. So, I I have a really hard time accepting that there are people in the world who don't like Kaiju movies. Like, oh, for sure. Like, do you have no joy or humor in your heart? Well, I mean, do you not love giant monsters, and if not, why? It's because they look fake. They look cheap. The plot lines are just silly. There's nothing serious going on. But but whimsy, one of the most important elements of the human existence. Yeah, not everyone's got that, you know? People are fucked up. People got problems, you know? And maybe all, maybe all people the... need to be strapped to a chair, clockwork orange style, and need to have to watch enough Ishiro Honda movies in a row to... Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be my re-education camp. Yeah, I feel like, <laughs> yeah, but that, but that, that, that soon turns like, okay, now you got to watch uh, Water Power. No, and, I just mean uh, because kaiju movies are so like, at least to me and to a lot of people that we both know, I think they just give you that kind of warm, fuzzy childhood brain feeling. It's just delight. And uh, I honestly got all those feelings from the opening of Misty Beethoven. Absolutely loved that movie. It's weirdly wholesome. All right. Number four on my list is one that we were we were planning to discuss this film a lot more on the episode we did with uh, Charles Smith, the film the filmmaker, film producer, film industry guy, when we were discussing the the writer strike. That was before even the SAG strike started too. Yeah, that, yeah, that was the right when the writer strike went went down. But when we started doing the episode, I like realized, okay, let's not cheapen this discussion by trying to shoehorn in a conversation about movies yeah or, 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 a specific or, film yeah you know so we just kind of let the conversation do its own thing so we didn't really get a chance to discuss 1976 film uh harlan county usa a documentary from barbara koppel which okay you said that there are no vegetables in your year list but i would have to argue that harlan county is definitely some vegetables yeah yeah I, and it's great i i 
chickened out when I was making my top five and I put some real movies in here. I, <laughs> I didn't mean to. It's so good, though. It was really good. It was one that, I mean, it made me cry a couple times and it fucking like got my blood pumping. And I think the reason why when we recorded uh, the episode with Charles, I was like heated you know oh like, yeah you were convinced that charles was the enemy well charles is the enemy i i <laughs> fucked up and i put a, a a slimy film producer on our episode about like the writer strike and he's like yeah we got to squeeze this lemon i'm like wait a second who are you again i never know what i was doing but but i i honestly like my blood was pumping because i just got done watching this like working class movie about this strike and and um, just about like, a minor strike for anyone who hasn't seen it it's brutal yeah, it was. It's really, really good. It's super, super effective, and it sent me down this rabbit hole of just reading about all the different strike waves in American history. So much violence. Like back in the day, basically when there was a strike, all that would happen is that like the feds or the the precursor to the feds, like the Pinkertons, would just show up, shoot everyone, like a pile of bodies, and everyone would get back to work. And it just, it just really kind of like reignited my uh my communist brain for a while and it was great it was it was a great movie harlan county usa i, I think that it. also is one of the best movies if there are people in your life who are maybe conservative or more centrist who don't understand the value of striking i think this is a great movie to sort of bring people around because it doesn't focus on leftist intellectuals. It's about this blue collar community and it shows how the strikes impact families and women and how everybody in a community gets involved. Yeah. That was what I loved so much about it is that like the most militant people involved were the wives of minors. The housewives. Yeah. Yeah. And just the families of them that showed up and fucking threw down and and I, I almost kind of want to push back that on, like, what you said about conservative people in your life, because I feel like it's not conservatives solely who who hate strikes and, and are against strikes. It's just people who are comfortable, who don't want their routines broken. Sure, and that's, that, that's and, why I said centrists. And by yes. centrists, I meant sure, liberals. Sure, sure. And I just think that, like, that is just a a matter of people who are comfortable, who who don't want to not be able to get to like, you know, work because the traffic is blocked or, or anything that yeah. like, you know, and, and even we talked about this during the episode of, on the writer's strike that's like, oh no, people aren't going to like this because they're not going to get their fucking TV or their streaming or, or whatever is going to be affected by this. You know, we're going to have to wait another year for Mission Impossible 8, Fallout Part 2, Dead Reckoning 3 or Tom whatever Cruise's the fuck. Tom Corpse Part 5. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's easy to forget to have solidarity with people who are striking, not because you don't sympathize with them, but because you don't want there to be a change in your routine, in your day-to-day. And, and that is what a strike is, is it's a way to shut things down and end routine and end commerce and end capital for a short while in a little sector, you know, and it's it's the most powerful tool we have. And Harlan County, USA, I think, is a great documentary and demonstration of that. All right. Number three on the list. Uh, this is 
Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Cure. Oh, one of my runners up, even though I also saw it years ago. Okay, but... so you, you'd seen it before. It wasn't a runner up. <laughs> but, it, but it felt like I was watching it for the first time. This is one that I, again, discounted because that, that era of Japanese cinema, I don't really like. The, the J-horror boom that kind of came out of Ringu and The Grudge, uh, you know, One Miss Call. And I lumped Cure into that because I was gifted one year for Christmas because my, my parents knew I loved The Ring and I loved Ringu. I read the fucking book. The book's awesome. And, and I, I was into J-horror and my sister got me for Christmas just like three random Japanese horror movies. You know, she didn't know what they were. I didn't know what they were. Um, one That's of, kind of fun. Yeah, it was awesome. I was like, what is this stuff? One of them was called Phone. It was awful. Um, I forget what the other one was, but it was really bad. And the other one was Cure. And I didn't like the first two. And I was like, okay, Larissa doesn't know what she's doing. She's She's got her, her heart's in the right place. But like, and, and and I was already starting to get burned on these movies. I didn't like the Grudge movies. And I was like, okay, not for me. And I, I just assumed the cure was in that ilk not at all uh, it's, it's it's a perfect film so good so scary in such an interesting way that i didn't realize it had dug itself under my skin until it was like ripping it off i i was holding my breath at times and then like realized I, it, like it fucked me up genuinely so scary i feel like on the surface level, it seems routine because it's basically about a cop hunting for what is maybe a serial killer, but it's so much more than that in such an unusual way. Like, I think the way I tried to describe it in my review was that it's sort of like if somebody turned depression into a horror movie. What, what, I, what I loved so much about it and why it was so effective for me, at least is that it was such an interesting story that I wanted to see what was going to happen next and how it was going to reveal itself and, and answer your questions and like answer its own internal mysteries and logic that I was absorbed by it, which is why it scared me so much because I was just so entranced by it. And it's a movie that's about being entranced and, and hypnotism and, and things like that. And, and it did it to me. It, it hypnotized me. It entran it, it, I, I was, don't know how we did it. I was completely under this movie's spell and it it got me. And and most movies that scare me don't do that. They, they are scary because I don't want to see something bad happen to a character and they're walking through a long, dark hallway or something like that. You know, it's classic... You know, Alien, when she's crawling through the... Or the guy's crawling through the fucking, you know, the, the air vents. You know, yeah. like that's scary stuff. But... This is, is horror in, in so many ways. And it was so nice to be genuinely scared and caught up in a movie last year. I, I really, really appreciated seeing Cure. Yeah, I haven't had that feeling in a long time. All right, I got another horror movie. All right, number two. This is a film from Edgar G. Ulmer, 1934. Oh. We got The Black Cat. This is... One that I I knew I was going to love. Honestly, it, it's kind of like almost like Love to Kill, the Cat 3 movie that was on my list. I only kept putting it off because I wanted it to be a gift in some way. You know, I, I wanted it to be like we're watching this on Halloween 
where we're watching this in theaters, and our old co-host, John D., came down or came up from, from Austin, Texas to hang out with us for a few days, and he programmed a wonderful Halloween time marathon. And the first marathon that we had in our New York apartment. Yes. He, it he, was he, perfect. He christened the place with just some evil October oh, that, gems. That's that's where we watched Haunted, Haunted Indiana. Yes. Yep. Haunted Indiana, which was one of my one of my shout out movies. And and the black cat, when that started up, I looked over at him and I just said, Thank you. And he's like, You're welcome. Because he, he, he knew I never seen it and he knew I wanted to see it. And, and it was just such a nice, just so nice to watch. And I fucking loved it. It was so good. And it was one that as soon as it was over, I was like, I can't wait to watch that next year. And like now I know I can just watch it every year forever. Just so good. Another perfect film. And if you, like Charles, hadn't haven't caught up with it yet, I would say highly highly recommended it's i think karloff and lugosi at their best together in such a much more daring kind of pre-code style horror film than any of the like main classic universal ones there's necrophilia and satanism and world war one trauma it's architecture it's <laughs> yeah i i and it's also it. kind of a twist on the old dark house movie in in a way yeah i i love there's this one scene where they're uh lugosi and karloff are, are playing chess the against each scene. other and they're playing chess to like win the right to either let the people in the house go or to kill them or enslave them or whatever and it it just it reminded me when I was in high school, I once played chess against somebody, but he didn't know this. But the girl who I liked had a crush on him, but I liked the girl. And in my head, I was saying, like, OK, if I win this chess game. Well, that's kind of that's kind of the same vibe as the black cat in a way. I don't yeah. want to give any spoilers. I was but... like playing this chess <laughs> game for this girl's heart, but no one knew it but me. That's a very high school crush move. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> and, and of course, much like Karloff's character. I lost. Oh, wait, was it Holtzig? Le- yeah, it was Karloff was the uh, was the good guy, it's right? Holtzig and Verdegast. No, Lugosi is the good oh, guy. Oh yeah, that's right. Although he's a fucking sinister good guy. Oh, I remember. Yeah. Th- this is like in his wave of wait, movies wait. where he gets cast as a doctor who skins someone alive. Which, yeah, which I is a to... wild wave. Oh, I can't wait to watch it again. I I loved it. It might be Karloff's best role. They were both really really good in it. Yeah. yeah, it was nice to see him have some stuff, like, something to chew on and not just be, like, a fucking lumbering, And, you know. I mean, Ulmer is such a great director. Love Came Ulmer. out of Ufa and that German yeah. expressionist style. It's... I'm, I'm looking forward to... This year, I'm going to watch Detour for the first time. Oh, so good. All right. Number one? Number one. Drum We're roll? Here. We're here. Oh, man, this movie fucking rocked. All right, 1981. From Yuan Wu Ping, who uh, made your list earlier. <laughs> in uh, a different, in a very different way. Yeah. This is the film Dreadnought, starring Yuan Bao. Oh Yuen my Bu. God. It's like, it's one of those movies, like I think a number of movies on both our lists, where it's just, it does so many different things. It's like a martial arts movie and a serial killer movie and... It just... So you said something earlier. I kind of forget what movie you were talking about where there was 
a fight. Oh, it was Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah. Where there was a fight scene that wasn't really a fight scene. It was like they were... Or was it something else we were talking no, about? No, that was Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah, Where yeah. they're having... It's like they're fighting and they're they're fighting over a woman's honor, basically. Yeah, but it's like they're not actually they're not trying to be caught fighting. So they're just like kind of like, yeah, they're at a restaurant while the woman in question is singing a song. Yeah. So, I mean, (laughs) now this is something that I think that the U.N. clan does so perfectly. And it's what I think the best martial arts films do is there's a fight scene that's not a fight scene. It's it's we we also watched a movie this year called The Champions which if oh, you're Oh, so good. If you're a fan of Shaolin soccer, The Champions is like that without the CGI bullshit. It's so fucking good. Dick way. And and they have this one scene in that where there's it's like a tango dance scene and the two there's like you know, uh, two couples. Two couples <laughs> dancing and the guys are fighting during the dance without their dates noticing and it is brilliant and that's why dreadnought is my number one movie is because there is multiple scenes that are like that where there's a scene where i think someone's like getting their hair cut or, or there's like they're they're doing laundry the laundry fighting yeah scene it's, it's is laundry wild. laundry foo is what they're doing throughout the film it's so creative just absolutely brilliant non-stop and it's one of those ones where when i watch it again it will be not quite like the first time but there'll be there's just so much to see that there's no way your mind can process all of that it, there's just that that when you watch it again you're going to notice so much more just in the intricacies of the of their fight scenes and it's just it's so funny it's like such a funny movie and then all of a sudden it's scary the fucking main villain in it. I, I'm sorry I keep cursing, guys. I'm from New Jersey. The fucking main villain in this movie, <laughs> he's like this serial killer with a crazy mask on. And he like he looks like kind of a mix between Sting from the WCW and like Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD. Yes. I mean. But he's just like this. He's a huge guy. He's this like rage hall force of nature. Yeah. And he's just like knifing around and. And all Ewan Bao's character knows how to do is fold laundry like a fucking champ. And he just, like, defends himself. With laundry. It's... <laughs> I highly, highly, highly recommend Dreadnought to anyone who hasn't seen it. It's, it is... I mean, to be fair, it's not like a deep cut or anything. It's considered no. by many people to be one of the greatest martial arts movies of all time. And I'm so glad that I saved this one as a treat. That was your birthday, right? Yes, yes. And put that on during that marathon. I do that a lot where like all of the movies that I'm really, really saving for myself, I try to like, you know, do on my birthday or, or do on some special occasion. I think also if you are a person who has not yet seen Dreadnought, you could probably get away with watching it. I mean, you can watch it whenever you want, but you could probably get away with watching it as a New Year's movie because there is a lion dance. And the lion oh dance scene God. is one How of the I, one of the coolest things I have ever seen. It's like a fucking it's like a fifteen minute set piece. It's of so this perfect. Lo- oh, it's incredible. It's just like it's mesmerizing i i cannot wait to watch it again i absolutely loved it and i have as a treat for us you're gonna do a lion dance right now (laughs) (laughs) i have a a movie with sammo hung and yuen bao that's also considered one of the greatest of all time 
that I want to watch with you later, maybe tonight or tomorrow. That would be a great way to ring in the new year. I know. I, I want to start it off right. I think that would be that'd be nice. That would be. All right. Wow. This was fun. Our, our it's, it's always I had so much fun on last year's episode. It's so hard for me to narrow these lists down, but so many bangers. Yeah, yeah. And we got we got a lot of fun stuff in store. And if you are on our Patreon and you or Sam's Patreon, our Patreon, she gives me like, you know, a couple bucks a month so I can brush my teeth. But if you're on our Patreon, we are going to do our follow-up to this, our happy hour bonus episode on all of the worst movies we watched this it's year. It's grim. My it's list gonna is grim. It's going to be fucking brutal. <laughs> it's going to be bad. We, we had to look over each other's lists because we had a lot of similar stuff. Which, honestly, not having a huge list of movies I genuinely hated to pull from made me feel like this was a successful year yeah. of movie watching. Yeah, we did good. I think yeah. we did good. You did better. You did really good. I am so. Your list is so, so good. Okay. I can't wait to check those My, movies out. I, since you got to do some runners up, I just want to give a single one that, in order to tell you on air that you need to watch Make this. it snappy, Deacon. Okay, I'm just going to read my review. So the movie is Sadao Nakajima's 1976 film Okinawa Yakuza War. And it is quite possibly Sonny Chiba at the most insane I've ever seen him. I wrote one line for a review. Sonny Chiba eats three popsicles at once while ordering Hideo Morota's dick cut off with pliers. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year.